Stone and Tile Show is proud to be sponsored by the National Tile Contractors Association. The NTCA is a leading trade association in the tile and stone industry dedicated to professional installation of ceramic tile and natural stone. With more than 1,500 members representing thousands of installers, NTCA works hard to be a strong voice for proper installation and qualified labor. The association invests in a professional staff to provide technical support and assistance and offers free educational seminars and regional training opportunities around the country. To learn more about what the NTCA can offer for you or your business, go to the website www.tile-assn.com. That's www.tile-assn.com. Good evening, folks, and welcome to, I believe this is the 123rd show of the Stone and Tile Show. I am your host, Fred Houston. And, you know, it's interesting, um, you know, I've been getting some calls here recently. And, you know, as most of you know, I do a lot of what we call expert witness work and inspection work. And the topic often comes up to when, when I look at these particular projects. Now, whether we're talking about a you know, installation of stone or tile, whether we're talking about a countertop, whether we're talking about restoration work, the, the gamut goes, goes on and on for just about anything stone and tile that I get involved with. The ultimate question comes up, who is to blame and whose fault is it? And it's not always really simple. And I, I got a, a call actually um, yesterday and which brought me up to this topic. And I know on Facebook, I, I put on the, uh, the topic for today that I was going to discuss some of your stone and tile problems. And I intend on doing that. But I wanted to talk about this subject for a while, simply because it comes up quite often. And let me tell you what happened with this one particular instance uh, where you know a customer had bought the material. Uh, they had it on site. And this was a residential property. And uh, they installed it and they had an issue. Uh, and it, regardless of what the issue was, but it, it was a, an issue with, with some staining that occurred from, from the, uh, beneath the tile. And I, I don't know exactly what caused it. I didn't actually do the inspection uh, on this particular project. But what was happening and what the contractor told me is they're trying to blame the designer. And I'm like, well, why would you blame the designer if the customer picked the material? Well, the customer's stating that the designer approved the color of the material. So you get into a, a really nitpicky situation, like, you know, should the designer have known? And, you know, quite honestly, in my opinion, no. I mean, designers don't know what we in the business know about certain stones and where to use certain stones. And we've done several shows on that. I, I don't need to harp on you guys, you know, where certain stones should be used and where certain stones should not be used. And I obviously have some, some strong opinions there. But where, where do you draw the line? Where, where do you put the blame if there, if there is a blame uh, to be made? So in this situation... Um, you know, depending on, on what your opinion is. And, and if, you, uh, if, if you have an opinion, please call in. The phone number is 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. Now, what I saw in the photographs that were sent to me looked like it could possibly be an installation problem. So you would think if it's an installation problem and it's not installed properly, that it's probably the installer's fault for whatever reason. 
didn't use the proper waterproofing of the shower, didn't use the proper setting material, you know, whatever. But the question always comes up, and I, and I get this in lawsuits all the time, should the installer have known, regardless of whether he installed it properly or not, should the installer should have known that this particular material should not have been used in that particular situation? So there's scenario number one. Scenario number two would be if the installer did everything properly, it was a, you know, a great installation, he did everything according to, according to standards, uh, and something went wrong, uh, and let's say that something went wrong because of the type of stone that it was, should the installer be blamed or should the installer have known that this particular material was not suitable for this particular uh, installation should he have alerted that to the customer. So, you know, you get into a, I mean, I, I've got my opinions, but you get into a really tricky situation, and especially if it comes down to a a legal issue. You know, once the lawyers get involved, you all know how that goes. Uh, it can get real, real tricky. Well, fortunately, uh, there are some what I call guidelines that do exist, and unfortunately, these guidelines are rarely, rarely ever, ever followed when it comes to let, let's talk about when it comes to the selection. We're, we're not going to talk about the installation and the proper installation because that's a given. And I've discussed that on this show many, many, many times. We have the standards. We have the Natural Stone Institute's design manual. We have the NTC. Uh, NTCA guidelines. We've, we've got all those guidelines, and we all should know know about about them. So we're just going to assume, for for purposes of this discussion, that the installation was installed properly, except for this next situation. And I'm going to get back. I'm sorry for jumping around here, but we get back situation. The next situation is, and I've gotten these calls all the time. Um, well, you know, there was a crack in the substrate. There was a crack in, let's say, a slab. And I'm working for the general contractor. And the general contractor said, well, go ahead and, and install it over those cracks. Anyway, we don't want to pay for a crack isolation membrane. Don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. You know, what do you do in that situation? Well, if you're a good installer, you're going to refuse to do it. But, hey, let's face it. You know, this is the real world. And you guys out there that are installing it. Uh, you, you may go ahead and do it anyway, but if you do that, and, and I'm not giving you legal advice by any means, you should document everything. Document everything. Document what the contractor said. Put it into an email. Put it into a letter. Whatever. Document, document, document. Now, that still may not relieve you of the of the burden that it was your fault because you went ahead and installed it wrong, but at least you have the documentation that, you know, if this gets into a lawsuit that your attorney can actually look at and say, hey, you know what, uh, you were warned and you told them to go ahead and do it anyway. So I'd really be interested in hearing uh, your guys' opinion on, 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 on any of these situations. And again, it's 323-870-3968. If you're listening live, uh, it is live right now. But if you're listening to the podcast, it's obviously not live. Uh, go ahead and send me an email anyway with your opinion, and we can bring it up on another show. Uh, my email is fhuston, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N, at gmail.com. All right, so there are some, and, and I get this in both residential and commercial settings. And, you know, one of the first things I always ask the client, whether it's residential, whether it's commercial, whatever, is were you shown samples? 
And this holds true for yet another scenario where someone has chosen, you know, a particular stone. And this happens more often in stone than it does with porcelain or ceramic tile. And they say, well, that that doesn't look anything like the sample does. And, and a lot of times that happens because, you know, wherever you're buying this material, you may only see one tile if it's tile installation. Uh, if you're buying a countertop and they're showing you, you know, a four foot, a four inch by four inch piece of stone and you get this an entire slab and it doesn't look like that, well, you know, that's to be expected. So the natural stone industry does have some guidelines in their design manual uh, under the uh, dimension stone selection section. And I, I kind of want to go through that. There are some guidelines which you should follow. And these are some of the things that, that I recommend. And, and they're broken down into uh, what we call the sampling section. So if you want to look it up, uh, by the way, the dimension st stone manual is available for free you know, online at the Natural Stone Institute site. So you just simply go in there and you can download, print off any of uh, any of the documents in the manual. So it used to be, you used to have to pay for that a couple hundred bucks, but it, it is free uh, for your use. And it's, you know, I use it constantly uh, when I do my reports. But what the guidelines are, it's under the sampling section. And I'm just going to read you some of the highlights here. Uh, and it's broken down into promotional samples, project samples, large projects, uh, number of samples, um, and it goes on for stone that will be matched, support documentation, veining samples, et cetera, et cetera. And you can read it for yourself. I'm not going to get into the whole thing, but I, I do want to get into uh, some of these things. Now, under promotional samples, this is where you're promoting a particular product. You want, it, you want this to be considered for color considerations only. Uh, so what it basically says is promotional samples are for color considerations only, but must be representative of the color and finish being proposed for use. And they should be supplied in small sizes, such as a three by four or four by six or six by six or, or, or larger. And the key there is that if you're going to be selling or installing or, or whatever, if you're involved in this portion of it, and there are different shade variations, that should be representative in the sample. So that's for promotional samples. And keep that in mind, that's for promotion. Now, when we get to project samples, you want sample, the sizes to be at least one foot by one foot, a 12 by 12, in other words, or larger. Care must be taken to select samples that accurately reflect the shades, markings, and anticipated ranges of colors, texture, finish, veining, filling, and other characteristics of the variety of stone specified. And, you know, that can be a little difficult with, with, with tile, but you need to make sure otherwise you're, you're going to later on down the road end up with, you know, all kinds of complaints. And we're going to get into how to handle those complaints in this, this particular podcast. Uh, but I think that's very important because I see a lot of you guys out there that really are not handling your complaints properly and you're getting into trouble, you're losing work, gives you a bad reputation, whatever. We'll get into that uh, in a minute. Uh, if you're dealing with slab work, if you're a fabricator and you, you, know, you want to make sure the customer sees the slabs and I even go beyond that and that is actually show them you know, what their countertop's going to look like. If you're doing stick templates, for example, you can actually take the stick template out to the yard, show the customer, okay, here's where we're going to put your sink, here's where the island's going to go, whatever, and, you know, point out all the, uh, I, I hate to use the word flaws or inconsistencies when it comes to stone, and those are two words I don't like to use. You know, I may want to use the word natural inclusions or, or something or something like that. 
if it's a large project, this is what the Natural Stone Institute says for a large project. For large projects, multiple samples are needed in order to show the range of variation. These are normally assembled by selecting from the blocks that the best meet the requirements for the point in time. Sometimes visits to the quarries may become necessary. Step in the selection process, selecting slabs to be cut for the project as necessary to see the overall variation of the stone and finish to be used. In all cases, availability of the material should be secured. So, you know, and I see that a lot. I see that a lot with some of these really, really large projects where the contractor will actually invite the um, uh, architect or designer uh, to the quarry to actually pick out the blocks uh, or bring them to the stone yard and, you know, show them the slabs or whatever. So all that is spelt out in this particular uh, document in a natural stone in institutes um, a document design manual, which I, again, I said is said is free. So what's your opinion here? You know, how, how do you guys handle these situations? And the phone number is 323-870-3968, 323-870-3968. So, you know, how, how would you handle a customer saying, well, I bought this material and you look at the material and you're like, you really want to use this material in a steam shower, for example. Uh, you all know I'm not a really big fan of using limestone in wet areas. Uh, for you restoration guys out there, you know, there's situations that I run into this all the time where, again, you know, I'm not a big fan of sealing stone in a, in a wet environment or in an exterior situation? What if you have a customer demand to do that? And and the, the problem that you end up with is this, you know, the customer demands that you seal that particular material and you know it's wrong to seal that material. And then later on down the road, you know, whether it's several months, whether it's several years, you get a telephone call. Uh, let's say an inspector comes out there and they ask, you know, was the stone sealed? And they say, yeah, it was sealed by, you know, ABC Restoration or whatever. And you determine that the sealer is the, if not the main cause, one of the contributing causes to this failure. And that comes back to you now as, as the restoration or as the guy that actually uh, applied the sealer. How do you handle that situation? You know, do you, uh, you know, inform the customer? And my answer to that is yes. You know, educate your customer. Tell them why. Uh, this particular product should not be used. And, you know, you could use that for anything in your restoration issues. Uh, you know, we're not going to get into the, you know, natural, you know, powder polishing versus crystallization. We've covered that on other shows. But, you know, let's say, you know, you were asked to crystallize and you're not a big crystallized believer, you know, educate the customers, you know, show them backup document. You know, I've literally got hundreds of articles I've written over the years, and those are all available to you guys for free. I, I don't charge you for them. So if you need that type of documentation, just send me an email. I'll be more than happy to send you uh, to send you articles. And uh, I've pretty much written on just about everything. Uh, but if there's a topic that I haven't written on, it, hey, it just gives me a great idea to write another article uh, to address to address those topics. So um, it, it can get quite, you know, like I said in the beginning here, it can get, I know there's situations that are kind of, you know, iffy, but you always want to be thinking to yourself. And, you know, I've never did this as a contractor myself, but, you know, I, I recommend it because as, a, as an expert witness and as an inspector, I see this on a constant basis when it gets into a, you know, a pissing match or, or a legal battle or an arbitration or whatever. And, you know, 
what are the standards? What are the guidelines? Who's to blame? You know, that's what I titled this this particular part of this of this podcast is who is to blame, and it, it can get it can get really 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 tricky uh, as to who's to blame. Now, I know there are situations where the designer or the architect should know better. As a matter of fact, I just had a situation uh, where a town square was being redone, and they chose a particular limestone that I would not use. And I told the architect that. I said, you know, I would not use this. This is why uh, this particular limestone is uh, is prone to deterioration. And, you know, and I won't get into the type of limestone or whatever, but I was very familiar with this particular type of limestone and what can happen in this particular situation. Now, whether he takes that to heart and, and believes me or not is, is one thing. But later on down the road, when I get called in because this stone is deteriorating and falling apart, you know, you, you want to be able to, hey, I'm not going to do this, but you want to be able to say, I told you so. And, uh, you know, you don't want to get yourself in that particular, uh, that particular situation. So, you know, educate your customer and document what you're telling them. Uh, extremely important. And that, that helps when it comes to, uh, 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 comes to dealing with, with a lawsuit especially. Okay, let's switch a little bit off the subject here. Uh, and who's to blame, but how to handle a complaint by a customer. And these are also some things that I've I've learned over the years. You know, no matter how good we are at our trade, again, whether you're a fabricator, installer, restoration guy, you're going to get complaints. And, uh, you know, I used to get complaints. I'm sure you guys have been in the situations where you get complaints. And, you know, the customer is always right. It's not necessarily uh, the, the rule of thumb here, although we would like to, uh, some people would like to believe that, but there are ways of handling a customer complaint that would make the complaint, um, how do I put this, less likely maybe to get sued or a lawsuit avoidance. So let, let's go through some of these steps. And of course, at any time, if you have an opinion about who's to blame, uh, about how you handle complaints, you know, feel free to call me 323-870-3968. Okay, when the first when, when the customer makes the first complaint, you want kind of want to step back. Step back and listen to what they have to say and don't jump in right away with your with your response, you know, you, you want to you want to be very accepting uh, of what their complaint is and listen to them. They may have a legitimate complaint, you know, and many times they, 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 they do. So, you know, give them your full attention, you know, listen to the whole problem before you, you get, you, you respond, you know, you don't want to jump the gun. You don't want to get in there right away. And, you know, well, we did blah, 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 or blah, 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 blah. You know, you just want to do it. You want to try to understand their complaint and try to understand where they're coming from. Now, once you've done that, once you've, you've, you've listened to them, you're not argumentative, uh, you want to deal with a complaint. So, you know, whatever the complaint, complaint would be, you want to try to deal with it. If it's something you can rectify then you, and, and you're wrong, you should tell the customer, well, hey, I'm very sorry. Apologize. Even if you're right, apologize. It, it, it goes a long way. But, you know, we can rectify this. So let's take two situations. Let's say you're not wrong. Uh, the customer's customer is not right in this particular case. You know, you want to apologize anyway. And then what I like to do, whether this is this is right or not, is you know, ask the customer to solve the problem for you. And how do you do that? You look at the customer and you very politely say, 
what would you like me to do? How, how would you like me to find this situation? And it, it may be, you know, take some money off the project. It may be I want it fixed or, you know, if it's doable, do it. Because remember, and, and I've done lots of jobs over the years that cost me money. But in the long run, they didn't cost me money simply because my reputation was at stake. And that particular customer, you know, will recommend to its to its neighbors, especially you guys that are dealing in high end properties. Word gets around pretty quick and it could ruin your reputation if you know, well, he wouldn't blah, 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 blah. And I, and I get it all the time as an expert. You know, I, I get it constantly as an expert where the fix is so minor. And but, you know, it's it's. You know, the, the either the fabricator and installer just doesn't want to want to deal with it. And they get real defensive and they start arguing, you know, with a customer. That's not the way to do it. You want to find a solution. You know, let let the customer errors, grievance, you know, don't make up excuses. Uh, and then, you know, ask the customer, you know, it, it might be better off to give them a partial refund or give them a voucher or, you know, hey, you know, uh, we could, we'll come in, you know, whatever. You know, I, I'm not going to tell you what, what, what you can offer. You should, you know better what, what, you're, what you're offering. So some, what I consider some useful, useful tips is, you know, try to remain calm. And I know for a lot of you guys out there, it's kind of difficult, especially when someone is judging, judging the work. But, but try to remain calm. That goes a long, long way. Um, you want to resolve these complaints if you can. Uh, whatever you're offering or, um, to you, or whatever you're compromised to with the customer as quickly as possible. You don't want uh, to, to, to let them hang out. And I can't tell you, you know, there, and, and I realize, guys, that there's all kinds of situations out there. Uh, I see them all the time where, you know, you offer to come back in. You offer to come back in and rectify it, and the customer won't let you back in the house. You know, oh, I don't want him back in there. He screwed all this up. And, you know, and, and that's bad but it's good in certain ways when it comes to a lawsuit because you know your lawyer can say hey i made an offer to come back in now here's a tip that offer yeah i'll come back in i'll i'll clean that up i'll redo that i'll fix that or whatever put it in writing put it in writing send it to the client in an email because now you have proof you have proof at the you know the time that you know i offered mr mr so-and-so to come in and you know polish out that edge that i left unpolished you know, whatever, whatever the case may be. So, you know, that, that's, that's my advice when it comes to uh, handling complaints. And I can tell you it, it, it works. Uh, it, it really works. I listen to the customer and, um, you know, you, Hey, you're in business. You, you, you want to, you know, continue to be in business. Uh, you want to have a good reputation and word gets around, you know, I remember someone told me one, one time that, uh, you know, one, Oh no, wipes out 10 data boys, you know, meaning that, you know, you could do 10 great jobs and people are going to say, Hey, what a great job. You screw up once uh, that word gets around faster than those other 10. I did a great job and uh, that you can take that to the bank fellas. So anyway, all right, I'm going to take a quick break before we come back here. And when we come back, we'll continue on with this conversation. Thank you. Tough skin. One of our gold sponsors, Marble etches and stains, Tough Skin guarantees it will not. Tough Skin provides a unique product and installation service anywhere in the USA with the proprietary stone laminate products. They protect marble countertops with an acid, oil, and waterproof guarantee. That's right, it's now possible to install marble, onyx, and travertine countertops without the worry of etching and staining from common household items like wine, lemon, coffee, or other acidic foods. 
people have been trying to figure this out for thousands of years, and Tough Skin Surface Protection has done it. Available in gloss and satin to match the countertop finish. Visit them online at toughskinprotection.com. That's T-U-F-F skinprotection.com to learn more. Are you looking for quality greenstone working products? ESP sells many lines of fine quality, environmentally safe products. Stone Pro, MB Stone Care, Bondstone and Touchstone Adhesives, more Stone Care products, Easy Care products, and Better Bio, which is over 80% bio-based and approved by the USDA. For more info, visit ESPSales.net. That's ESPSales.net. Alrighty, folks, we are back, and we were we are talking about you know who's to blame, and I think I pretty much covered that. Uh, again, if you have a uh, you have an opinion on that, uh, uh, feel free to call three two three eight seven zero three nine six eight and then jump in there. But I'm going to go ahead and switch topics here a little bit, uh, at least for a few more minutes before we before we end the show on some of the issues uh, that I've been getting calls on, and one of them has been. Uh, especially for you uh, restoration guys and as well as fabricators where you're trying to polish out certain materials and those materials just aren't polishing properly. Now, without getting into a whole slew of, of polishing techniques or whatever, let me, let me break this down into one specific area. And that is there are certain black marbles out there that have a cloudy appearance to them when you polish them. And, you know, I, I had a call today, I had a call yesterday on, on both of those uh, materials that uh, just weren't polishing. They were cloudy. They sent me photographs. And, uh, you know, that's just the way those materials look. You know, you have to remember not all stone is going to have that 10-foot shine to it. So, you know, you want to be able to, you know, when you're looking at these materials, know what you're getting into. If there's an area that, you know, is untouched, you know, up against the wall, take a look at how that shine is. Now, if you're not matching that shine, then you're obviously doing something wrong. Then you may want to look at your diamonds you're using. You may want to look at the polishing powders you're using. You may want to look at the technique you're using to polish. Uh, you know, a lot of times I, I had a, uh, some, a restoration contractor call me the other day, and I told him to try to go from a dry, from a wet to a dry polishing on certain stones work better when you go from, you know, wet to dry. So, uh, you know, you have to remember we're dealing with materials that are 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 made by nature. They're not they're not man-made materials, and you know because of that, it's it's the way they are. Some of these materials do not polish. You know, some of the green marbles, Tino screen, some of the green marbles don't have that, you know that that deep you know what I call ten ten foot shine. So you just need to be aware of that. And I know it's impossible to know all these materials that are out there, but you know. Yeah, you know, generally on an installation, you know, you can find it somewhere, either on the wall, up against the corner, where you can, you know, see what the original factory factory polish looked at. While we're talking polishing, I had a call the other day from a fabricator that was doing some edges on a on a piece of black absolute, and he could get a shine, but he couldn't quite get the color back in back in the edge. And this applies for almost any edge. Uh, and I, I asked him what he was using, and he, he told me all these diamonds he was using, which was which was fine. And I said, what are you using to you know put the final polish on there? And he says he's using a black buff pad. And I said, okay, well, that should work. Uh, me through what exactly you're doing. So he's walking me through, you know, the, starting with the, the 100 grit, going to two, going to five, and then, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then putting, putting the buff wheel on. 
And, and I said, okay, when you're putting the buff, buff wheel on, are you using the same amount of water as you are uh, with the diamonds? He goes, oh, yeah. And I said, well, that's your problem. Uh, those buff wheels are designed to go from a wet to dry. So, you know, I said, try taking it. So, you know, spritz a little bit of water on the edge and then just don't add any additional water and take that buff pad and, and work it till you're, till you're heating up that edge. And uh, he called me back later that day and bingo. So that's how that particular uh, buff pad buff pad works. Um, another call I've gotten recently is the uh, the bluish green bloom that you get on certain granites from the CA glue. And I actually did a whole show on that. And uh, there are some products out there. I happen to manufacture a product, 10X has a product uh, for, for removing that. And I know you guys have a bunch of your own homemade remedies. That's fine. I'm not here to sell you anything. So uh, whatever works for you, that that's fine. If, if you don't know what those products are and how to do it, then just, again, send me an email. And we can we can tell you uh, what what to do there. I uh, got an interesting one also the other day, and that is, can I bend stone? They wanted to bend stone around, not a, not a deep bend. And I always, when he asked me that question, I I kind of thought back to when I used to do fabrication seminars, and one of the things we used to do in our fab seminars is we would take a piece of granite, oh probably about three inches wide by about thirty. 40 inches long and we would place it on, you know, span it across some two by fours and then start placing weight on top of it and it see at what point the weight would break. And, and a lot of instances, obviously depending on the type of granite, uh, it would break at, you know, 25 pounds, 50 pounds or whatever. And then we would rot it. And when we put the rod in, you could actually see the stone bending. And in some cases I've been able to bend that stone almost two inches before it would actually start to show a show a fracture in the stone. So again, it depends on the stone. Uh, there are techniques for bending stone. Uh, you know, you can put grooves, V grooves in the back of it. You can wrap it that way. Uh, but th there's a limit depending on uh, the type of stone that you're dealing with, how much of a bend you want to put on there. But is it possible? I guess the question would be yes. Now, I also had an interesting conversation about rotting. You guys at you know fabricators out there that rod countertops. And they were saying that, you know, even if even when they've rotted, they're still breaking countertops. And I said, well, that's true, because you have to remember when you rod. Let's say you have a sink and you're rotting, you know, parallel to that sink, say the back and the front. Well, that's strengthening the stone in, 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 in the crosswise in other words perpendicular to that rotting so when you, if you were trying to bend that stone upwards a rod's going to prevent it from bending that way but if you put pressure on it in the opposite direction it actually becomes weaker uh simply because you know you basically you've, you've cut a groove in the stone and you know i would like to see somebody uh do some uh experiments on that i just don't have the time and then you know actually do some flexural strength test and show uh you know I mean, there, there, I know the Natural Stone Institute did some testing with some rotting, but they didn't test it that way. You know, I'd be interested in seeing, you know, what is a flex? How does rotting, you know, decrease the flexural strength or increase the flexural strength in in both directions? Uh, and I, I think you'd find it would be interesting that uh, in the one direction it's not going to, but in the other direction it's it, it's not going to. 
All right, before we wrap things up here, I'll uh, give you one more chance to call in, 323-870-3968. I know a lot of you uh, listen to this on the podcast. You don't listen to it live. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you think I should change the time and date for the live uh, broadcast here, let me know. Send me an email, F-U-S-T-O-N, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com and see if that uh, uh would you know get you to listen more uh, live than, than on the podcast? It really doesn't matter to me. Uh, it would be interesting to hear your uh, uh, hear your comments. Also, uh, before I go, I want to make sure that you all know that I am doing another stone and tile inspection and troubleshooting seminar. Uh, uh, this time, I'm going to be doing it July 5th. It's a four-day class. It's going to be done in DeBerry, Florida, which is just north of Orlando. So if you guys want to bring the family to Disney World. I'm sure everything will be open by then. I think Disney World is open right now. Uh, you know, that'll be a great time. It's, it's a little hot. It's it's the summertime here, but it's it, it's doable. Uh, just, you know, give me a holler. Uh, send me an email, and uh, we'll get you signed up. It's going to be a limited class because of this COVID thing. I really don't want to pack it, uh, pack it tight, even though I've had my shots. Uh, but uh, if you're interested, you want some more information on that, just, uh, just let me know, and we'll, we'll get you all that information. Uh, of course, you know, continue to watch my Facebook page. I always put a lot of interesting things on there, a lot of interesting topics on there. And, uh, well, I guess I'm going to end things for, for this week. Until next week, I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, keep setting those tiles, polishing that stone, and fabricating those tops. Later, my friends. Are you tired of lugging dozens of stain removal chemicals around to remove stains from stone, tile, or concrete? Did you know you only need three chemicals to remove almost any stain? From organic stains to inorganic stains, Dr. Fred's Ultimate Stain Removal Kit is all you need. The kit contains three reagents and includes a detailed ebook on how to remove almost any stain. So if you're trying to remove difficult ink or rust or simply coffee and other food stains, this kit is all you need. To order, contact Dr. Fred at 321-514-6845. One kit is $69.95 plus shipping.